Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Here's Michael at the foul line. A shot on Elo. Good! The Bulls win it! They win it! Pippen runs down the lane, dumps it out the horse. Paxson for three! Yeah! Rose crosses over the fadeaway. All-Star Weekend is in the books and really excited to talk about it all with you on this week's episode of the Believe in Bulls podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick Schultz. Great to be back with you. I have a very special guest this week as well. It's my guy, Rob Schaefer. Covers the Bulls at NBC Sports Chicago and NBCSportsChicago.com. You can hear him on the amazing Bulls Talk podcast with Jason Goff and Casey Johnson, Tony Gill. They do really great work over there, and I'm not just saying that because I work with them. Follow him on Twitter at Rob underscore Schaefer. Rob. How's the All-Star break been treating you? Uh, pretty good. A bit different from last year, right? Uh, I, it was my first year on the beat last year, and to have it be in Chicago the whole weekend and the extravaganza was something else. And then this year, you couldn't have scripted a more polar opposite. Did, did basically the entire weekend from the chair that I'm talking to you uh, from right now. But it was fun. Uh, you know, there was debate, obviously, in the buildup to it, whether having an exhibition in a pandemic was worth it, if there was a risk, how much risk was involved. And I guess we'll see. It seems like to this point, all the players made it out safe, although there was that kind of slight scare with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons having to, to quarantine. The city of Atlanta, I can't speak to because I wasn't down there. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought the exhibition itself was fun. I had fun watching it. It, it dragged on because it was kind of every event in one night. And for Bulls fans, of course, you get to see Zach there. He looked like he belonged. He, he got his couple highlights in. He scored his 13 points and uh, clearly enjoyed himself. He, he was appreciative of the opportunity. His family was down there with him. So, yeah, good, good, fun weekend all around. Nice to recharge the batteries the last two days. And the second half gets rolling and it won't let up here in a, in, in a few days here. Yeah, I'll full disclosure, I watched the first basket of the All-Star game because I may or may not have had a monetary reason to watch the first basket of the All-Star game. And then I turned it off because I can't watch All-Star games. Like I, baseball, I sometimes can. I mean, basketball, I did last year a little bit because it was in Chicago. Figured I'd watch a little more. Like mm-hmm. I won't watch the Pro Bowl at all. So I don't yeah, I, the Pro Bowl's the worst one, yeah. It is. And I, I can't watch all star games because it's all just showboating, which is like, okay, that's cool. That's the whole point of the game. But especially with no fans there. I'm like, I, I think we watched the X-Men movies or something. Like one of the <laughs> X-Men movies is what we watch is just because we had nothing else on. So I want to get your thoughts more in depth on Zach's first all-star game. Sure. Well, yeah, and the, the thing about this game, I think it had its moments of entertainment, it had its flashes. I saw the highlights the- on Twitter, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, and Giannis with his unbelievable stat line, Stephen Dame, trade half-court shots. So, you know, as as a whole, I think the game had enough, enough moments to make it just kind of a regular all-star game. The unfortunate thing was it wasn't close down the stretch, and Zach was playing kind of in the fourth quarter late, especially because a lot of the more established guys, uh, most notably LeBron, basically just kind of phoned it in after halftime or after the third quarter because, you know, it's just something where guys are trying to get in and out without um, incurring any damage, whether it be health or, or injury. Uh, but yeah, unfortunate that it wasn't a close game down the stretch because the Elam ending thing really made the Chicago game one of a kind and, and unique in the kind of historical landscape of the thing. And that didn't necessarily happen this year, although Dame did go bananas down the stretch. Uh, it didn't really hit the same because, you know, it's a 20 point game uh, on Zach specifically. 
Yeah. I mean, he went there with the motivation and, and the, the mindset to kind of put on a show, quote unquote. Um, I, I'm not sure that he necessarily did that like wire to wire, but you know, he, he caught his, he, he caught an alley-oop from Donovan Mitchell. That was exciting. Um, caught kind of a twisting acrobatic finish off a of bounce feed from, from Harden. That was, that was cool. He made his first shot. He said that was his highlight afterwards was making his first shot, which is kind of a pull up three from the left wing, which is good to see. Um, he was kind of, you know, spraying the ball around a little bit for times getting in, getting into facilitator mode. I mean, that's what makes the game so fun these days is there are so many playmakers and so many guys willing to set each other up. So in game itself, uh, I thought he, you know, presided and presented himself well. Uh, he did, he, he did foul a three point shooter, which has been such a theme for the bulls this year. And <laughs> that's kind of funny. I mean, my Twitter timeline. <laughs> yeah. It, it would explode it on mine too. Everybody who you know covers or watches the team regularly caught that uh, immediately, which is just kind of a funny wrinkle, even on their day off, they can't escape that. Um, but uh, you know, that aside, it was just, I, I think an overwhelmingly positive experience for him to hear him tell it. Um, you know, he said after the game, he had fun. He's looking forward to getting back, which is a big thing for him is kind of uh, getting, bringing the focus to now what's next and, and establishing that stature. Now that he has established it, maintaining it, keeping the team success up. Cause that's how you um, get to exhibitions like that. Um, oh, and then I'm, I'm even forgetting the three point contest too. Uh, I think probably a little bit disappointing of a showing relative to what some expected, it was star-studded. Like, that's where the star power was of the night, really. It was mm-hmm. concentrated on the three-point shootout. But he bowed out in the first round again. I think he was had a respectable enough showing. But, um, you know, when Mike Conley gets hot like that, I think he had 28 in the first. And then uh, Steph. I, Steph just wasn't going to lose. I mean, in hindsight, it's it's as clear in hindsight as it was leading up to it. It's, you know, he he had something to come in and kind of re-cement himself. Um, so, yeah, I, I think wire to wire, you know, it, he clearly seemed like, again, he enjoyed himself. He relished the opportunity to go kind of fraternize with other, um, you know, star players in the league as much as they could uh, with, with all the COVID restrictions and things like that. And, you know, post game, it was, it was cool headed Zach. It was, that was fun. Now it's time to get back. Now it's time to get back to the bulls and make sure the team success stays up and maybe even bring some teammates back with them next time. He did say that, which I thought was, uh, was funny. So um, I think bulls fans can come away from that feeling pretty good. He seemed to, and uh, it's just a stat. It's another, it's another, you know, symbol of the franchise kind of moving in, in, in an upward direction, especially relative to where they've been the last few years. Yeah, I, I did watch the three-point contest, and I thought Zach did okay after the slow start, but then when yeah. Conley was just hitting him and just draining everything, I'm like, okay, he's done, because there's no way Steph's losing the first round. So I'm like, okay, I think he's done. I thought he did all right, considering he – what did he do, make one on his first rack or something? I think he was – Dan, I'd have to go back and fact check this. I think he was three of five on the first rack and it was a money ball rack, but he might've missed his first two because he, he made a point to put the money ball in the corners this time. Cause uh, I think he put it at the top of the key last year and it kind of burned him when he's just, I mean, he's, he's a prolific shooter from anywhere, but from the corners, especially in the left corner where he put it, he's shooting like 59, uh, 59% from the left corner this year. So he actually did, if my three of five is correct, he actually did pretty much match that hitting 60% of those. Uh, but there's, you know, a lull in the middle and, Again, you can't give an inch against a guy like Steph Curry. You just can't. The guy, right. the guy who surprised me, I actually didn't expect Jason Tatum to come out and knock down 25 Same. in the first round. That's the dude he finished just underneath. I, I probably expected Zach to over uh, to, to, to perform a little bit better than him. But, you know, it happens. It's, it's, it's wide open threes. He made 16 to 27. That's not, you right. know, in any other context, that's exactly what you want to see. But it was just a little bit, a little bit short. And then we have to talk about the dunk contest because – Twitter thought it was boring. I thought it was okay. What did you think of the dunk contest? I thought it was fine. It, it did what the modern dunk contest does, right? Which is, I thought all their first dunks were great. 
I was really looking forward to seeing Cassius Stanley, especially just watching him a little bit in college. He got screwed. Just he, he did. I, I mean, really. And when you watch the replay of it, he got the ball underneath the leg that he jumped off of. Like, it's just amazing what he did with that dunk. And, you know, it's one thing to not give a 50 or, or to maybe undersell him a little bit, but a 44 is like, I'm no dunk contest historian, but that to me does not, that, that feels like almost a disrespectful score. And to make it on his first try to do what he did, you see it in slow motion. Uh, yeah, I, I would not be thrilled about that if I was him. Um, yeah, all the, the first dunks were good. It, it, to me, it kind of tapered off in terms of the entertainment value after that. They're not notorious names, no disrespect to those guys, but they're not, you know, it, it doesn't have the star power or the star cachet that it used to the dunk contest. Uh, so I thought it was fine. Um, people obviously get riled up about the scoring, which is just fun to make jokes about. Uh, but what I thought was interesting, and this is tying back to Zach again, uh, he talked about after that those guys were kind of coming up to him as the dunk house was going. And you can see it on TV a little bit, kind of asking him for advice, asking, you know, is this worthy? I think that, that, was, a, that was a phrase that uh, Anthony Simons used when he was talking about it after, which is just kind of funny. Zach at age 25 is kind of this sage elder uh, get, passing down advice from on high to dunk contest participants. He's like a, he's, he's just a complete icon of the event. And, um, you know, he obviously didn't do it this year. I, I don't think he considered it. I, I think he's pretty much done with that at this point in his career. He's beyond it. Now that he's in the all-star game and he's cemented himself as this kind of, you know, great all-around player, that's where his sights are. So I, it seems to me like he's pretty much hung it up or as close to it as you can be. But um, it is funny that his impact and his presence still kind of loomed over the event uh, in that way. So that, that, that was fun to see. The Dunkers as a whole, I think I was probably the least impressed with that of any of the events um, with the three-point contest and the all-star game itself being kind of up, up near the top of that. Yeah, we, my sister had never seen the 88 dunk contest with Dominique Wilkins and Michael Jordan. So we watched that yeah. afterward because we we're like, this one was boring. You've got to see this one to see a dunk contest. And I, I well, can't tell she, she was amused. The, uh, has she seen the Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon? That Because that, that one is up there too on the Mount Rushmore, kind of the, the most legendary. Yeah, I, I think I showed her that one a couple years ago. I think, I know I watched that one live. So I can't mm-hmm. remember if she's seen it or not. But yeah. either way, we watched the 88 one. I'm like, now that's how you do a dunk contest. <laughs> yeah. Dominique Wilkins and Michael Jordan, which I love seeing Dominique as a judge. I thought that was really cool. And Dwayne Wade has no right to criticize a judge this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing was funny, and I've heard people talk about this, was uh, Dwayne Wade giving uh, pointers on the three-point shooting contest too, which yeah. is kind of funny when you think about it. Dwayne Wade is like, you know, the third best shooting guard of all time, amazing basketball player. But just funny to hear him giving tips on the three-point uh, on three-point shooting. That was probably the one soft spot uh, in his game. But I thought they did a great job with the judge panel of the dunk contest. I love seeing Josh Smith. I too. Me too. That's a dude, like, we're, we're kind of close to the same age. Like, Josh Smith is a dude I grew up watching. He was, like, my 2K cheat code guy. Um, and he's been out of the league now. He was maligned by the time he got out of the league, which is unfortunate to see. Uh, but it, it was kind of cool to see him up there, too. I thought they did a good job with the judges until they actually had to score the dunks. And then that's when the controversy comes in. There's always controversy with the dunk yeah. contest. That's what's so great about it. Now let's move on past the all-star game to the future because second half of the season gets underway Thursday. I just going to ask you straight up. What was your assessment of the bulls first half? Better than expected. I'd say, uh, you know, we did a preseason prediction panel at NBC sports, Chicago.com with some of the guys from the podcast. And I think I had them pegged for 28 wins. The bulls uh, in this kind of 72 game regular season. They're right now on pace for 34, 16 and 18 at the break. So, I mean, that's certainly above my expectations. I think it's above the expectations of most. You have guys, obviously, Zach has made the star leap. Um, you know, even though a guy like Lowry Markin and missed time, he was playing the best basketball of his career in, in his limited action in Billy Donovan's offense. He seemed comfortable in that. Wendell Carter Jr., you know, it's been up and down, but it's still, you know, at his, at his career best scoring average, career best assist average. 
Um, Kobe White, I think on the whole, again, it's been, you know, ups and downs with a young player learning a new position. This is his first year really playing that traditional point guard role. Um, but towards the end, seemed to find his footing. They seem to have found a good balance for him. Um, you just kind of go down the line. I mean, Patrick Williams has impressed with uh, with a really, really abridged uh, turnaround from being drafted to you know, starting NBA games. He started every game he's appeared in. Um, so I've been impressed by him. And I just think overall, you know, you look at the growth from those first two blowout losses to the Hawks and Pacers that opened the season that were really, I mean, jarring, alarming. I don't know what the word you want to use for it is, but it really looked like they had a chance to be an utterly non-competitive basketball team this year and to see where they are now to see, um, you know, some of the, I, I think their record against teams at or above 500 is four and 12, which isn't great. Um, it is in fact, one of the lower marks in the East, but you know, that's still, I mean, that's still already more wins against teams at or above 500 than they had all of last year. That's obviously something they have to keep getting better at, but they have gotten slightly better at that. They picked up wins that I think are closer to being quality wins this year than they had for most of last year. Um, and Billy, I mean, he just has clearly elicited full buy-in from these guys. They're clearly in on what he's selling in terms of the schemes, in terms of the um, kind of balance of being encouraging as a coach and as a player developer, and uh, also challenging guys and holding them accountable at the same time. Um, his kind of reputation coming in has clearly uh, translated, and he's clearly has garnered a lot of respect in that locker room. You have the the breakout of Thad Young as like a six man of the year candidate. He's just been amazing. Um, exactly. Yeah. And well, and well, well termed, I think, I think we, everybody kind of laughed and was like, ah, well, you know, this isn't a, you know, this is, this is just a joke at the time. And then now, I mean, he's been the second best player on the team uh, by, by a long shot in my estimation. Um, so he's been amazing. Uh, you know, I just think there's a lot to feel good about relative to the last few years. Like Billy will tell you, when you try to, you know, bring the, the uh, over abundantly, you know, optimistic take to him, he'll tell you, we still have a losing record. We still have a long way to go. And he's right. I Turn love that problems. mentality. The, yeah. It, no, it's a great, it's, it's exactly what you want your coach and the players feel the same way. That's exactly how you want them to feel because there is still a long way to go, right? The turnover problems, despite, you know, uh, ele- elevating themselves in pretty much every area of their offense. Um, the turnover tr- uh, troubles have persisted. The defense has gotten a little bit better from being in the basement of the league early in the season, but they still foul too much. Um, they've had problems in close games. They're still under 500 in games that are within five points with less than five minutes to play. Uh, they're three and five in games that end, uh, within a three point margin. So, you know, these are all things that you can look at and say, we've got basically a game every other day for the second half of the season. There's going to be a lot, a lot of elite competition in there. There are plenty of opportunities to prove that there's another step to be taken for this team. Um, but to this point, it's hard to feel anything, but other than, you know, like I said, better than expected uh, about where they've been so far. And, you know, we'll see where they take it from here. Now they're ninth in the East right now, heading into the second half. I keep saying that this is a playoff caliber team and that they back into the playoffs in the East. I don't think they're going to win anything. I think they're because the Eastern conference is the Eastern conference. They're a playoff team. And I don't want to think about maybe the play in tournament. I'm thinking like, sixth place in the East playoffs. Am I thinking too big? You're thinking bigger than I would be. I don't know if I could say unequivocally that you're. Cause they're only a game back at that six spot right now. They are only a game back at that six spot. The one, the reason I would be cautious is because you've got a team that's in that six spot right now in Miami that I think is one seven of eight coming into the all-star break. They obviously struggled with COVID and health stuff. Jimmy Butler just got back for them 15 or 16 games ago. And they've really been on a tear since they've kind of found their form. I imagine they'll separate themselves. That top four is Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. They're obviously an interior of their own. 
Boston is another team like Miami that has struggled with the health thing has underwhelmed. They have a trade to make. I think eventually that six will separate itself. And then you're looking at now seven through 10, you're looking for to, to secure a spot in that play in Toronto, another team that has just kind of gotten healthy, assuming they don't, you know, make a big move, trade a Kyle Lowry, something like that. I think they'll end up in one of those spots. And then if you're the bulls, you're, you're vying with Charlotte who has looked incredible um, when they've been whole. Um, you know, I was a little ball optimist in the pre-jet process. I couldn't, I, I didn't see this coming from him. Did I? He, he's just been so special. So you're vying with them. You're vying with Indiana, who the wheels have kind of come off a little bit, but they still have Karis Levert maybe coming back in the second half of the season. They're, they're still going to be a tough competitor in that tier. Um, you have uh, the Atlanta Hawks, who have been decimated by injuries uh, in the first half of the season. They obviously just made a coaching change. They had a little bit of an energy injection, um, you know, one, two games entering the break. For them, I think if they get, uh, you know, a guy like Bogdanovich back, um, if they're able to get healthy in, in the sense of getting um, him back, if DeAndre Hunter finds his way back at some point in the second half, I'm not fully up on all their injury statuses, but, um, you know, they're still hanging around only a game back of the Bulls at this point. Cause that's the thing, as much as they're close to jumping into contention, they're also only two games ahead of Washington, who's right now in 12th. So there's, it could, it could pivot in either direction. Um, and Washington for that matter, one, eight of 11 entering the break. I would feel comfortable, um, you know, with them potentially backing into one of those nine or 10 playing spots, breaking into the top six to me. I, I'm not, I, oh, and I, I forgot to even mention the Knicks who are above 500 right now. And I don't necessarily see them going anywhere either of uh, the way that they've played. Um, but I feel decent about them sneaking into a nine or 10 spot. And then once you're in the play and anything can happen, right? I mean, it's basically mm -hmm. single elimination, depending on which seed that you're in. Um, breaking into that top six for me, it would be tough to project right now, especially because they have, I think the sixth most difficult schedule, according to basketball references model um, for the second half of the season. There's just a lot of tough competition. It's a lot of day in day out grind for a young team. Um, I don't doubt that they have it in them because they've shown that they have the ability to compete with top teams. Um, but it's something that, again, without practice time with the amount of, um, you know, improvement areas that they've shown that they still need to continue to get better at. I'm not willing to put them completely over the top yet, but it, it's certainly in the wrong possibility. Cause like you said, all these teams are clumped together and it's the East. Like the East has never been easier than this year. There are so many teams within a game or two of 500 and a game or two of each other, anything can happen, but I'm still treading a little bit lightly on, you know, getting fully into that, into that playoff positioning. And with that in mind, the trade deadline, this is, it's so weird to be talking about the trade deadline in March, like the trade deadline's yeah. coming up March 25th. What do you think the bulls st the standing now they're ninth, a game back of six, but like you said, a couple games up on these teams that could maybe flip with them. What do you think that says about what they might do at the trade deadline? Cause our tourist Connor Chauvis naturally has been very, very quiet about what they're going to do at the trade deadline. Yeah. Well, and, and he did speak uh, publicly and I thought offered some things that we can read the tea leaves on basically just kind of hammering home that one, he doesn't view players as trade commodities. Now that's obviously just kind of a, a tagline, something, something you have to say, but he did kind of the theme of his comments. Every time he was asked about the trade deadline, is it a seller's market? What are you guys going to try to do? The focus was pretty much from his angle. And obviously Billy Donovan is going to preach this because he's a coach and that's what you're supposed to do as a coach is try to win every game. But the fact that Arturis Karnaschovas's uh, kind of theme and company line was, you know, we're focused on the guys that we have in the building right now, and we're going to try to continue to improve them. To me, maybe foreshadowed um, standing relatively pat at the deadline. You know, we're still learning this front office. We don't really know their habits yet. I, if I had to hazard a guess at this exact moment, I would guess that they stand relatively pat because they are in competition right now. And, you know, moreover, it's just this front office came in and 
preached player development, player development, player development, time after time after time in the months leading up to, you know, their offseason minicamp, in the run-up to hiring Billy Donovan, in the run-up to training camp, in the preseason, and now the regular season. The players are developing, and they're developing because you have these guys, these veterans like Thad Young, like Garrett Temple. Um, you know, we'll see Otto Porter Jr. was being lumped into that group before he got hurt. Now, we'll see, you know, we'll see how he looks if and when he comes back you have these guys that are contributing to not only winning, but also the development of the quote unquote young core of the roster in such a material and kind of observable way. I would, I would be a little surprised if the front office that was so um, dead set on player development coming in basically took that and took the buy-in that these young players have, um, you know, or that Billy Donovan has elicited from this young team. I would be surprised if they took that and then just kind of dismantled it right when it looked like they had a chance to, to get over the hump. I think as much as people might say, you know, you're losing the long view if you, you know, make a full bore run at the nine or 10 seed or, or something like that. Um, and, and you're out in the first round of the playoffs anyway, like you have to take the long-term view. I think there's an aspect of, you know, investing in the players that you have in the building right now and seeing how they can improve. I think that has long-term benefits too, just, just cause you, you're not getting, you know, uh, the first, first round pick you can find for Thad Young. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're not focused on the long-term with that strategy either. So that would be my guess right now is that they stand relatively pat. There's clear, I mean, you know, Arturis did also say something funny about, um, you know, quote unquote delusional teams. There are so many delusional teams that think that they're in the race and they're maybe not. I don't think the bulls would be delusional to think that they could get into that seven to 10 spot. They're in the nine spot right now. I don't think they're, they're delusional to think that they can hang around there. Um, and, you know, just with the way that you see guys having career seasons across the board, the way that you've seen the, the little improvements from last season to this one, it would just be a, it would, it would, it would surprise me a little bit to see them throw that away. Um, just given how much that they've preached player development to this point. So that'd be my guess uh, talking right now, who knows, they could come out of the break. Owen Penn and, and everything could change. Um, but that would be my guess right now. What do you make about the Andre Drummond rumors? Cause I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. I, I'm not the biggest Andre Drummond fan. Um, just not, not, not Andre Drummond as a person, obviously, but just as a basketball player. Um, and I say that as a Connecticut native diehard UConn fan, I love all, I love every, everybody comes out of that program. I love, love UConn guys. Um, I just don't miss, I, I've never really seen the fit with the bulls, especially because when those reports started coming out, the, the fan sentiment that I saw prevailing was the guy, the people that wanted to bring him in saw him as kind of a replacement for Wendell Carter jr. Which I just, I, I disagree with that as an approach for the rest of the season because of all the player development stuff we talked about. I, and I just don't, I don't know. It, it's a tough proposition for me because if you're going to trade for him, you're basically swapping him for Otto Porter jr. Which, you know, certainly with how unavailable he's been, you can make the case for it for me. And now it, it looks like based on Billy Donovan's comments on 670 score this morning, we'll talk to him tonight. It seems like Otto is on pace to return um, in the first game after the break, as we're speaking right now he was playing well for the bulls, you know, in, in his first 16 games um, off the bench, obviously they were limiting his minutes. People can, you know, fuss about the max contract and everything like that, but it's an expiring season. Like we don't have to worry about that too much. Like he's, he's contributing what he can, which is, you know, 11 and six and 40% three point shooting in, you know, 20 to 25 minutes a game. Um, I, I think that's valuable on this team. I think that's a little bit more valuable than a guy in Drummond who puts up good counting stats. There's no doubt about that. But to me, not a great or explosive finisher around the rim. I would have questions defensively. Um, you know, he's a really, really elite defensive rebounder, obviously, but that's not an area where the Bulls have necessarily struggled on the whole. They're second in the NBA in defensive rebounding rate. There have been isolated incidents where second chance points have hurt them, but overall, 
Um, they've been good at limiting opponent's second chance points. So I struggle to see exactly what issue he solves unless you're bringing him in, you know, as a 15 to 20 minute a game backup center option to kind of take a little bit of the load off of Thad playing that small ball center spot. But you're about to get Larry Markin back, who Billy has shown um, an affinity for playing him at the backup center spot. And you'll you'll have more bodies in the front court coming into the second half. Um, and then, you know, the last point on it is with a guy like Drummond, unless you trade for him, I don't know how you're going to necessarily convince him to come to this situation over a contending situation if he does hit the buyout market. Because there are teams out there, you know, the Nets, uh, you know, go down the line. Um, I'm not exactly sure who he's engaged. I think the Raptors were brought up as a reported team that had been interested in him. There are teams that are closer to contending right now that have a need and probably a more expanded role available to him. Um, that I just, if I'm the bulls, I just, I just don't necessarily see the point. I, um, I would worry about it impacting Wendell Carter Jr. If he were going to start him over him, or if he was going to eat into his minutes at all. Um, you know, I know it's been up and down with Wendell, but you, in a development and evaluation year, you still want to invest in that. Um, and he had shown signs of progress. So I, I was a little puzzled to see the rumor, to be honest with you. I, I see both sides of it. Um, but to me, if it's if it's me in that chair, I just would be focused on, if you're going to improve the roster, I would be focused on other areas rather than, you know, a guy who to me on this team would be best served as a backup center. I, I, just, I just see other avenues um, that are probably more pressing at this point. That's kind of where I'm at. Because I heard that, I'm like, Andre Drummond, like, I mean, you hear the names, like we've heard the Lonzo ball smoke. I've talked about that on the podcast. It seems like makes every sense. week, which like, I, I'd be, I can't believe I'm saying I'd be perfectly fine with a Lonzo ball trade. You've heard, obviously Otto Porter's name has come up in rumors with the warriors and you hear all this, all this stuff. Thad young is apparently untouchable, which is what I'm advocating for that. I've read that this week. And then you hear the bulls are checking in on Andre Drummond. I'm like, really? I just, I, I agree with you. I don't see the fit. Like I get checking in, but hopefully it doesn't get farther than that. Cause I, again, I don't, I don't see a fit there. And, and it breaks from the trend, the, the trend of kind of the reports or the, or the prevailing reports recently has been, you know, that Thad Young thing and that the bulls are not necessarily, um, you know, actively itching to make a deal right now. They're kind of in sit back and, and I think it's justified to be able to sit back right now and say, you know, we're actually relatively fine with where we are right now, because as much as fans, I think, can get a little frustrated and I understand it because this is now year four of this rebuild for the fan base, but for the new front office and for Billy Donovan, it's year one. Like they're coming in basically treating this as a ground floor operation. You would think with pieces on the team that are not ground floor, but like Zach Levine is not a ground floor piece. Like that's an all-star that's that, that's like a star player in the league that has now made a compelling case. I think to be a long-term franchise centerpiece, just he's turned 26 today. Happy birthday. Uh, you know, the, his best is probably still in front of him. Uh, you know, if I was a betting man, um, so, you know, I, I think it's totally reasonable for them to treat this like an evaluation year. You're seeing steps forward and some ups and downs, but mostly steps forward from the young guys. And there's just no, re- to me, it seems like a move that would be kind of like harried and rushed. And it's just not something that they need to reach for right now. Um, and it breaks from the trend of like, you know, when Lonzo's name was brought up, you know, that makes sense. He's a young guy with upside, um, you know, at that kind of, yeah, it's backcourt depth. Um, and it's kind of that playmaker that it seems like they need with all the turnover troubles that they've had and things like that. Um, yeah, the Drummond one, I, I scratched my head when I saw it. Um, it only got more confusing as you get deeper into the layers of it for me. Right. Like I've never been fully sold on Lonzo ball, even in the draft. Like, that's why I say, like, I hate that I'm talking myself into it with like, but the more I read out, the more I think about it, like, okay, it makes sense. I think about Andre Drummond when I think about it more, when I read about it more. 
I get that much more confused. I'm really hoping that doesn't happen, especially now with we've kind of alluded to it. Billy Donovan went on Mullion Haw on 670 The Score this morning, Wednesday morning, with a big lineup update. And let's hear the clip of that. Well, Otto and Lowry, I give them a lot of credit. You know, during the All-Star break, both guys just stayed here in Chicago and trained every day and worked out. Uh, both guys have had, you know, contact workouts where they've had contact. Uh, today will be our first real full practice with the team uh, before we play tomorrow. I think if things progress like they've progressed up to this point in time, I think there's a very, very strong possibility that both those guys are suiting up and playing tomorrow. So it sounds like Otto and Lowry are going to come back to the lineup against Philly in the first game of the second half. That's coming up Thursday at 7 o'clock, barring the unforeseen. What do you think they'll bring, especially, obviously, the 76ers are undermanned with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid out due to contact tracing. But going forward, having both of them back in the lineup at the same time, how does that change things in terms of the Bulls are two games under 500 right now with a tough schedule. Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing it'll add, uh, well, there, there's a lot of things. One, clarity for Lowry Markkinen, provided he could stay healthy for the rest of the year. He's obviously playing out of contract here right now um, after they couldn't reach an agreement on his rookie, uh, uh, to extend his rookie contract last offseason. Um, he looked phenomenal in his first 14 games in Billy Donovan's offense, was shooting the ball at a clip that he hasn't before in his career. Now there's a level of that is that sustainable? You know, 14 games that he played is basically a month sample size. We've seen Lowry have great months before. Obviously, that's been well documented. The question is what comes next. So there will be clarity on if that scoring efficiency that he had displayed is sustainable. Um, it'll add clarity on kind of what the status of the uh, ancillary elements of his game are, his playmaking, his defense, things like that, as the Bulls are coming to the point where they're going to have to make a decision on him long term. Because with the way he was producing early in the season, like he's going to get an offer sheet from someone like that. That's a guy that's going to be valued around the league um, for all the reasons that Bulls fans have rightly valued him and expected big things from him throughout his rookie uh, deal rookie or, you know, first three or four years with the Bulls, the size, the mismatch, uh, the, the kind of walking mismatch that he has the potential to be the shooting ability. So clarity on that. Um, it'll be, I, I actually am interested to see, I don't really know on floor on the, on the court. I don't have necessarily a set idea of how exactly um um, those two will immediately, you know, get back in. I think the benefit for Billy Donovan is he's talked a lot about when guys come back from injury, reacclimating them. And now you've had the all-star break. So you had a chance to get them to ramp up a little bit if they are going to come back tomorrow. Um, the benefit, I mean, a couple immediate benefits, you probably um, your, your front court rotation gets a little bit more defined and just a little bit more reliable. You probably won't see as much of Luke Cornette, Cristiano Felicio. Um, Thank goodness. Daniel Gafford. Yeah, I, you, I don't. I don't care for Felicio or Cornette, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and, the, and you know, the, at this point, they're kind of end of the roster. You know, tap them up. You know, they they, they do a great job of staying ready, Coach Speak. But um, you tap them up when you need them. But to, for to be able to oscillate Thad and Lowry and Wendell um, at that center spot now, I think just gives. It, it's probably a more comfortable situation for Billy. He probably um, prefers that rotation a little bit more. Um, so it helps you there. Um, obviously, Lowry will help their spacing. Um, Otto will do that too. These are both guys that are around 40% from three for the season. Um, uh, Otto, you know, uh, hypothetically helps their defense, um, helps as a rebounder. I mean, this is a team that's been, although they've been a decent, again, they've been a good rebounding team on the whole this year. Um, they've been a little undersized in the front court, uh, especially with various injuries. So just getting more size up front back because Otto's basically been a four um, at this point in his career this year. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, this Philly game is now one, I mean, it, it always, it, it was from the beginning. 
Um, but or as soon as uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were ruled out, but it's now really a must-win game. When you look at this five-night and or five-game and seven-night homestand coming up here um, against really good competition, Miami and Toronto following up Philly, uh, this is now a game that you really, really, really want to win um, to kick off what's going to be a brutal second-half slate uh, on a high note. And hopefully those two can come out and kind of hit the ground running. Um, we'll see. My another mild kind of adjustment that'll happen is now with Lowry coming back in and sliding to the four, you probably move Patrick Williams more to that full-time small forward slot. I thought he fared pretty well in power forward slot, almost an audition to, you know, if there is a future without Lowry Markinen, like is Patrick Williams are four of the future or is he still three? Um, I think he, he showed that that versatility that was, that he was built to have pre-draft. Um, I think he proved himself pretty capably uh, playing either forward slot. So that, that was good to see. He'll slide back to the three. He'll be someone to watch uh, down the stretch of the season, just kind of, you know, how much his offensive game can grow and how much he can continue to improve defensively um, after, you know, to me, he impressed me uh, on both ends in the first half of the season, but um, the Bulls will be eager to get both of them back. It it can really only add more clarity, whichever direction you go. Um, But, you know, it's certainly big for them. And I think for Lowry, especially uh, because he's still in prove it mode here to this point, he's done everything he possibly could, in my opinion, to prove that, um, you know, he is closer to that dude that you see in year two for that month of February 2019 than year three when he had a down year. Um, but now he's just got to sustain it for the rest of the season. Should be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how they come back in the lineup and impact everything. Like we said, we have been talking with Rob Schaefer on this week's episode of the Believe in Bulls podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Rob underscore Schaefer. Rob, great stuff as always, my friend. And have fun covering the second half of the season. Should be fun. Should be fun. Good to talk to you, Nick. You've been listening to the Believe in Bulls podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. You can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I will see you back here next week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.